Welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 683. And Henry Ford said, whether you think you can or think you can't, you're probably right. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Hello, automotive enthusiasts. I am revved up and so excited to introduce a very special returning guest here on Cars Yeah, Mitch Williams. Hey, Mitch, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? Good afternoon, Mark. And yes, I'm ready. I'm buckled up and ready for the left lane. Awesome. Great. We're ready to go. Mitch Williams is the president and CEO of APR in Opelika, Alabama. APR is an automotive engineering firm that was founded in 1997 with a corporate philosophy of innovation, integrity, and excellence. Their mission is to provide the highest quality and most highly engineered aftermarket performance products available for Porsche, Audi, and Volkswagen vehicles. Mitch has worked in the automotive industry for decades and has led companies including Hella, where he was the youngest president in their history, CB and Marshall Lighting, and RPUI, where he was when we last spoke to him, and he's the former SEMA chairman of the board. Mitch, I have told our listeners just a tiny bit about you. Would you take a brief moment share a little bit more about your career and your passion for automobiles? Well, Mark, I think I've been a car guy uh, all my life. Every picture of me as a small child, I seem to have a model car in my hand. So I don't know if that's DNA or if it was just the environment I was in, but I think where I've ended up was uh, pretty much predetermined. So I have a passion for speed and for performance. I like things that go fast, stop well, go around corners and make a lot of noise. And so that, that inevitably leads you to racing. My goal all along was to go racing. I didn't know that you could make a career out of this uh, until much, much later. So uh, I took a job pumping gas uh, when I was still in high school uh, in order to learn how to repair cars, in order, how to, in order to learn how to build race cars, which I did. And uh, so here we are all these years later. And uh, I, I always tell people I've never really had a real job. You're a lucky guy. You found the secret sauce to life. I think I did, yes. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's very exciting, and uh, I'm really happy to have Mitch back because he's got this new role here with a different company, and we'll hear how his life has changed in the last year and what he's doing now. But first, as we continue on your journey, of course, I always like to start with that success quote or mantra, and it's a really nice way to get those inspirational tires turning here on Cars Yeah. So we'll see if your uh, mantra or inspirational quote has changed in the last year. I'm assuming it maybe has been altered a little bit. So Mitch, take the wheel. Well, I'm not sure whether it's changed or not, Mark, because I think it's a particularly good one. And um, I'm a big fan of Henry Ford because he was a first in so many different areas. And Henry Ford said, whether you think you can or think you can't, you're probably right. I love that quote. In fact, it is a salutation on one of my emails that I ah, send out. Good. Yeah, that the one I sent out to my personal friends. How have you incorporated that into your success? You've been involved in a lot of different companies. You've, you've been involved in a lot of different things in the automotive world. So how have you incorporated that great quote by Henry Ford into your business and into your life and your passion? Well, originally in my career, the automotive business was a way to pay for my way through college to become a psychologist. Uh, along the way, I realized I didn't want to be a psychologist and I was already in the automotive business and I didn't realize you could make a living at this. So once upon a time, once I realized you could make a living at this, 
uh, and that I was enjoying it so much, I sort of switched professions and never did become a psychologist. But I think psychology or a psychology degree is a very useful tool in any business because businesses run on people. Uh, we tend to get fixated on return on investment or inventory or sales or profit margin or all those kinds of things. But at the end of the day, the most successful businesses are the ones that have the most number of people pulling together in the same direction. So I've always been fascinated by people working together as a team. I'm not very good at individual sports, but I've always played on really good teams, and I still do. Well, I know that's why you've been successful, because that is a, a key element of a good leader and of a great organization, and uh, I think you've figured that out at a very young age. So all the people that have worked with you and for you, I'm sure, have appreciated that as well. Interesting psychology. Very cool. Well, would you share a story with us that instigated your passion for car? Take us back in time, and you talked about working at a gas station, pumping gas and so forth, but was there a pivotal moment when you realized, oh my gosh, I'm a car guy? I went to, um, I think it was the first time I ever drove a, a real performance car. I had been driving Volkswagen Beetles most of my teenage years, and I um, had a few cars, but progressively faster and faster and faster, but... I became a BMW and Audi technician uh, in college and um, got to drive a customer's BMW 2002. It was a 1968 BMW 2002. Uh, I bought the first BMW I ever drove. Uh, I'd never driven a car that handled and stopped and had reasonable acceleration. So it was a quantum leap forward over a Volkswagen Beetle. And, uh, and I fell in love with BMWs. And, and I've owned uh, 13 or 14 BMWs since. Wow. So I think it was that realization that whatever you have, there's something better out there. It's faster. It's, it's you know, better design. It stops better. It goes around corners better. But it doesn't really matter what you have. There's always something else to aspire to. And I thought that was a pretty cool industry to be in. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, my listeners know I'm a BMW fan. I've got a M3 in the garage, and my wife drives a BMW. My son drives a BMW. My daughter drives a Mini Cooper. So that's a BMW in essence. So that's a pretty that's a BMW dealership, Mark. Yeah, I know it's crazy, isn't? It? I've had a bunch of M3s. I love those cars. They just they are a great car that do all sorts of different things. You know, whether you want to have a track day with the club or just drive to the grocery store. I mean, it's fun, and you hit that sport button on the dash, and the car just comes alive and turns into something different. So you're only missing one BMW, and it's a two wheel one. Well, yeah, you know, I had more. I used to ride bikes, and I had a MV Agusta F4, okay. which was a crazy bike for me to be riding, yeah. and a uh, Ducati Monster, which is a great bike, oh. a little more tame. So I kind of like the Italian bikes a little bit, but I have driven or ridden, I should say, a BMW bike, a touring bike. I thought at one point about getting one, and uh, it was magnificent. For a big, giant bike, I couldn't believe what a nice bike that was. Well, the fastest vehicle I own is actually my BMW motorcycle. I have a K1200S. Oh, nice, nice. <laughs> yes. Well, you are a BMW guy for sure. So, Well, Mitch, what I want to do now is take a look at some of the roads you've driven down. You've been in so many businesses, industries. You've come up, I'm sure, with, against a lot of challenges or maybe a failure once in a while in your career. But the most important part of this question has to do with how did you overcome that situation and what did you learn for us? So tell us how that experience helped you gain even more momentum in your career and your company. I think um, people in general, and maybe this is my psychology degree talking, but people in general, and certainly a lot of businesses, are resistant to change. And change is, is a very sensitive subject in a business because there's a tendency to keep doing what has always worked in the past. But the problem is the world is changing around us. 
So if you just keep doing the same thing over and over again, eventually you'll get less and less of a result. And, and I learned that early on through my exposure to the Toyota production system, which I'm trained in. And, and I understood that uh, staying where you are is not an option because the world is going to change around you. And, and staying where you are may feel comfortable and it may feel like the, the right thing and the place to be, but ultimately becomes very insecure because you're, you're really falling further and further behind if you try to stay where you are. So I think one of the things that I learned and I, and I try to teach those uh, uh, that around me is to embrace change and to recognize that it's coming whether you like it or not, and it's going to work against you or it's going to work for you, and it's your choice. And, and I personally prefer it to work for me. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Well, let's, uh, let's carry this a little bit further with a takeaway. I have been in that situation where I've, I've been confronted with uh, knowing there's change needed. And then some of the people around me are just shaking their head going, well, why do you want to rock the boat? Things are fine. Think no, they're not going to be fine. So how did you help people come on board that were resistant to change? Because that seems to be the key factor when, when you think change is important, but those around you are going, I, I kind of like right where I am. This is really comfortable. Well, I think, I think it comes down to you have to give people the opportunity to buy in. You have to solicit their input. And, and the best leaders I've ever met were also some of the best listeners. So you have to listen to what bothers people about this business or that business. What do they like? Uh, what do they not like? And, and if they were going to change one thing, what would they change? And those are usually the three questions I ask, either when we acquire a business or when I go into a business. And you get some great answers because one of the things that I've learned is that uh, most of the answers to the challenges that businesses face are already in the business. And what's missing is the channel or the communication to let those ideas come to the surface and actually be put into uh, into practice in the business. So businesses tend to go out and assume that we don't have the answer and they look for answers externally. Uh, but I, I always look internally first. And, and I've been very successful at finding the answers in the intellectual capital of the businesses that, that I've run. Ah, brilliant. I love that answer. Well, let's shift gears and go to the other end of the spectrum. I'd love for you to share what I call a career aha moment. It's a time when those, you'll like this, Marshall lights illuminate your way to a new direction. And uh, tell us the steps you took to turn that significant aha moment into a success. It was a time when we were uh, preparing to sell Toyota. Uh, and this was back at Hella. We were preparing to sell Toyota, and the message was that Hella had never sold Toyota anywhere in the world and that Japanese companies would not buy from a German company. And my response was, as soon as I heard it can't be done, uh, that sort of set off a, uh, you know, a, a light bulb over my head, and I said, well, that's, that sounded like a dare to me. And so what we did was we, we went to Toyota. We actually went to our joint venture. We had a joint venture with two Japanese companies. And we said, we don't know how to sell Toyota, but teach us what we need to know. And the Japanese are very, very good about sharing information. Uh, they're very good at continuous improvement. And, uh, uh, and, and so they, we spent about nine months learning the language of Toyota and learning the systems and the practices of continuous improvement and Toyota production system so that when we finally did get our opportunity to sit in front of Toyota and we knew the answers to the questions even before they asked them and we could speak their language. And we were not, we were not threatening in that way. We also went in as an American company with a German pa uh, parent. So we went in with a little bit softer kind of cultural um, 
approach to Toyota. Sure. And the result was that we had our largest contract ever in at Hella Inc. with Toyota. And within two years, Toyota was our largest customer. Wow. So I, I love being told that it can't be done because that's sort of like a dare that maybe we should go try. Absolutely. Great story. Thanks for sharing that. Let's talk about a proudest career moment. I would assume you've had many. You've received awards and accolades. Some of, some of them have been from the SEMA organization, great organization. But is there one proudest career moment that stands out for you you would share? Probably when I was elected SEMA chairman, first of all, you never expect to be recognized by your uh, industry peers. And so when I was elected SEMA chairman, you suddenly realize, wow, this thing is so much bigger than me, but here's my opportunity to give back for all that I've received. And so it, it's, a, it's a huge responsibility, but it's a very fun responsibility. And it, it was really a, a wonderful time period in my career, the 12 years I spent on the SEMA board of directors. Because you're working with the who's who of the industry. It's like, it's like getting to play on an all-star team, but getting to play on an all-star team for 12 years. It's just fun every day because you're working with the best of the best. And you're working in some cases with a lot of industry icons that you sort of feel like you should be asking for their autograph, not for their <laughs> advice. Yeah. But, but uh, it's a fantastic experience. And being involved in the industry and being able to give back so an industry that's given so much to me is it was a really important time in my career. Congratulations for that. You know, last year I had Wade Kawasaki, who's a new chairman mm -hmm. at SEMA on the board. He said exactly the same thing, that it's, it's such an honor and a wonderful opportunity to give back, which I think is the key element here. Well, Wade, Wade and I are, of course, good friends. And Wade was actually secretary treasurer of SEMA when I was chairman. Okay, so great. He, he and I go way back. Yes. Yeah. Way back. He's been in the industry forever. Well, Let's have a little bit of fun here and go way back. Speaking of going way back, and I'd love for you to share your first really special car, that first car that you got that you'd always wanted, perhaps, and uh, maybe share a memory with that vehicle. My first car that I consider really special was a 1972 Porsche 911T. Nice. Uh, it was light ivory uh, with, a, with a very unusual dark green leather interior, beautiful color combination that I've never seen again. And uh, the story that I have about that car, and, and it was my dream car at the time, you, you, I would always aspired to a Porsche 911. I'd been to the 24 Hours of Daytona when I was still in high school, and of course there were a lot of Porsche 911s running, and so that was also where I became fascinated with night racing and endurance racing. But I thought, hey, you know, if a Porsche 911 is good enough for the 24 Hours of Daytona, you know, that's the car I need to be driving. So I finally get the opportunity to buy one. And uh, it was uh, $6,400, the outrageous sum of $6,400. Oh, my gosh. And I get stopped for speeding on the test drive. Oh. And so I'm sitting in the police car, and the owner is with me. The owner's in the 911. I'm sitting in the police car, and the police officer is giving me a lecture about the evils of foreign cars and how they're death traps. And, and I was agreeing with everything he said. Yes, you know, sir. Oh, yes, sir. Yeah. <laughs> and so uh, he finally concluded that I was a smart young man with a good head on my shoulders. And maybe I'd learned my lesson that day. So um, he was going to let me off with a warning. And I went back and bought the car. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, I guess I wasn't listening all that hard. Well, yeah, I understand. You know, it's, it's um, my listeners know this. I had a 72S. And oh. uh, yeah, it was light ivory, but it was black inside. Your car sounds, I've never seen one with that dark green. That oh. sounds spectacular. Yeah, those uh, those long hood Porsches are 
Just wonderful cars, just fabulous cars. Drove it 80,000 miles and sold it for $4,000 and thought I did just fine. <laughs> but it uh, doesn't look like such a smart move. Uh, no, I sold mine too soon as well. But uh, the money went to help pay for my son's college, so it went to a good cause. And he graduated last summer and got a great job. So all is well and happy. So I'm, I'm good for that. But I did sell mine for a lot more than I bought it for. Well, you were luckier than I was. That's that's how you can always spot a car guy is the coulda, shoulda, woulda stories. Oh, yeah. We've got a lot of those here on Cars. Yeah, yes, a lot of tears. And speaking of that, seller's remorse. How about a car you've let go that you really wish you had back in your garage? Uh, you know, it's going to be kind of a strange one. There's there's a couple of them. I had a 1957 BMW Isetta Ooh. that um, I, would, uh, I sold too early. Uh, and, and now the values are peaking. And I, of course, sold mine before the values peaked. <laughs> Uh, the 72 911T, I certainly would want back. But probably the car I would most want back is, believe it or not, my first new car, which was a 72 Volkswagen Super Beetle. Oh, cool. Uh, I paid, paid $2,314 for it. It had two options. It had a, an AM radio and a leatherette. Uh, <laughs> and uh, $2,314. And it was just a simple car. It was a fun car. It handled pretty good. It wasn't particularly fast. But that car probably kept me alive because... I was racing everywhere I went and driving at 10 tenths and just no one knew it. <laughs> yeah, it's about as fast as 10 tenths in a VW Bug is about two tenths. So. <laughs> 60 miles an hour, you could make seem pretty fast in that car. Yeah, in high school and uh, my years in college, I had a 67 Carmen Ghia. And, oh, yeah. and I did punch out the engine a little bit. It had a bigger engine in it and a little fatter tires and stuff. But yeah, it was kind of my poor man's Porsche, but uh, it would only go so fast, so... Uh, but it was a wonderful car. I really enjoyed it. Well, let's talk about today and tomorrow. You have a new role there as CEO and president of APR. And I'd love for you to talk with our listeners a little bit about more about what the company's all about, what it does. This is your chance to kind of pitch this new adventure in your uh, career channel here to the uh, Cars Yeah listeners. Well, thank you for that. Um, APR is a very special company. And it's a company where um, I, I really believe we are a company of the future. You know, as I've come up through the business, your toolbox often consisted of wrenches or sockets or something like that. Increasingly, your toolbox consists of a laptop and the ability to program a vehicle. So APR has kind of two parts to our business. One is hardware. The other is software. As you might imagine, software is kind of exploding in terms of not only the complexity of it, but also the difficulty in being able to tune a vehicle. So we actually we actually have race teams that can build entire race cars, but they come to us to tune the engine wow. because the engines are so complex these days. So, you know, in the old days, if you wanted a car to go faster, you change the carburetor jets or, you, you know, you change the cam or something like that. These days, it's far more likely that you can go in and you can remap the ECU in the car and we can go in and look at several thousand different parameters of the ECU map. It's everything from overboost to uh, ignition timing to air fuel, it's coolant temperatures, it's air temperatures. And, and so when you, when you have the ability to look at every aspect of engine performance, you can get very, very detailed in how you improve engine performance. So typically, typically we have stage one, stage two, and stage three type applications. And we can offer a car, let's say the car that comes with 
250 horsepower, we can easily get that over 300, and we can get it as high as uh, 500 to 550 with a built engine. Wow! So it's it's a uh, it's kind of uh, it's kind of as much horsepower as you want sort of scenario that we have today. And once once you get to a certain horsepower level, you do get into mechanical components that need to be added. But it's a, it's a surprising amount of horsepower that's available simply through software and knowing where to look for, for the horsepower. Absolutely. Now, your company works primarily with three automotive marks. And why is that? And uh, remind our listeners which car marks those are. Well, it's Volkswagen, Audi, and Porsche. We grew up, we were, we were founded by an Audi enthusiast. And right about the time Volkswagen was introducing the 1.8 liter turbo, uh, that was kind of the engine of choice uh, for many Volkswagen enthusiasts back at that time. This is about uh, about 20 years ago. That's kind of our bread and butter has always been Audi and Volkswagen. What's interesting about what's going on in the automotive market today is that for two reasons. One is cafe fuel requirements are pushing manufacturers to go to smaller and smaller engines. Well, if you go to a smaller engine, and you can only take so much weight out of a vehicle, so if you go to a smaller engine, then you're going to inevitably run that engine harder. And that means typically turbocharging or supercharging. So that's what we do. Like what we've seen with Porsche lately. Absolutely what we're seeing with Porsche. And, and that's what we do. We, we, are small, uh, we are small displacement, turbocharged, or supercharged engine specialists. The second thing that's going on is the EPA is pushing more and more ethanol for more and more ethanol. Uh, energy independence is obviously a priority on a national scale that would that affects us all, and no one would really disagree of, of the need for that. The one thing the United States has plenty of is land and corn, and so we can make all the ethanol we want. The problem with ethanol is uh, it's lower octane and it's lower miles per gallon. So there again, you're giving up performance in order to use a, a, a non-fossil fuel. Well, when you give up performance, the way you get it back is through tuning. So in a, in a strange twist of fate, this is the first time it's ever happened to me, the market is actually moving in APR's direction. So we feel like we are very well positioned for the future uh, because we, we already are where the market is heading. Nice. Brilliant. Fantastic. Well, again, congratulations on your new role there. I love, I'm going to be really excited to, to follow what your company's doing and what you guys are doing since I'm a German car fan. So, uh, yeah, definitely some. I can tell in the background. <laughs> yeah, yeah. As we sit here, we're Skyping on this call and he can see all my model cars behind me. And, uh, although I'm wearing my Alfa Romeo sweatshirt today, so I kind of went Italian when I woke up this morning, but that's okay. Well, Here's a very introspective question for you, Mitch. We'll see if you've changed over the last year. If Mitch was a car, what kind of car would Mitch be and why? You know, um, I've uh, the, the answer I gave before was a Shelby Cobra Daytona Coupe. Yes. <laughs> uh, that still would have to be very, very high on my list. But I tried to buy, and I missed out on eBay, I tried to buy a 1983 Audi Quattro Coupe factory-built rally car. Oh, wow. Which uh, was a homologation car, and uh, this was a rally car that had never been crashed. So I thought that was pretty rare in itself. It, did it never so race? <laughs> it, it did race and was never crashed. Wow. So I, I, I tried to buy it, and the bidding just kind of went through the roof. And I, and I eventually said, you know, I, I can't, uh, can't overpay crazy money for it. So something like that, I think, that represents a period in history and sort of the start of something much bigger 
uh, than anything that had come before. Whether that that car was really the start of all-wheel drive, and it was the start of Audi and VW for turbocharged engines. So I think that's kind of an iconic car for that time period. So that would probably be my choice today. All right, very cool. I had a, a great guest on the show last year, John Campion, and John owns a really nice collection of vintage rally cars. And so maybe he's the guy that outbid you. I don't know, but probably was. So it's still on my list. There's always more in the bucket list than you finish. So oh, yeah. I'll, you know, I'll, I'll get there when I get there. That's absolutely true. Well, Mitch, up next is the last lap. But before we put the pedal to the metal, let's say thank you to today's Cars Yeah sponsors. If you own collector cars and still have a little bit of money left over, congratulations. You're ahead of most people, but what should you do with the money you don't spend on cars? Talk to Chris Kimball, Certified Financial Planner Practitioner. For over 20 years, he's been helping people just like you and me with their financial planning and investments. And he's a car guy, too. Call 253-722-PLAN. Or you can view his website at www.chrisvkimble.com. Make sure your investments are running on all eight cylinders, or 12, or 16. Securities through Money Concepts Capital Corp. member, Finra Sipic. I'll never worry again about having a dead battery with my NOCO Genius Boost Jump Starter. This compact tool fits in my glove box and features rechargeable lithium battery technology that'll jumpstart a dead battery in my car boat, truck, or RV. The Genius Boost features built-in spark-proof technology and reverse polarity protection to safely jumpstart any of my vehicles. The compact, ergonomically designed clamps are built from solid copper for maximum conductivity. There's a built-in ultrabite dual LED flashlight with seven modes, including an SOS and emergency strobe. I use my Genius Boost jump starter to charge my phone, tablet, and laptop while I'm on the road or if the power goes out in my home. The unit itself is easily rechargeable in my vehicle. The Genius Boost from NOCO is the ultimate emergency tool that's safe and easy to use. Quality design, state-of-the-art technology from NOCO, the battery car source since 1914. I've got one in each of my vehicles. Get yours at GeniusChargers.com. Are you looking for a way to get your products or services into the ears of thousands of automotive enthusiasts around the globe? I can help. This is Mark Green here at Cars Yeah, and I'd be honored to be an influencer and ambassador for your brand in a unique and personal way. Five days a week, thousands of subscribers and listeners enjoy the Cars Yeah podcast and website. Contact me today and I'll show you how at mark at carsyeah.com or connect with me through the Cars Yeah website at carsyeah.com. Okay, Mitch, we are back and we're entering the last lap and I'm going to fire off a series of questions and ask you to give our listeners some very quick blips of the throttle answers. So here we go. What's the best automotive advice you've ever received? Uh, Your work is your signature. Uh, Yes, very important. Would you share one of your personal habits you believe has helped contribute to your success over the years? I almost always have a numbered list in my pocket of priorities. And I prioritize everything. It's uh, There's always a lot to do. And it's important that you focus on the things that matter. And you focus on the big things first. And you focus on the things that drive the business forward. So the way I do that is I number everything and I check them off the list as I go. Ah, brilliant. You know, my daughter for my birthday last week gave me a, a great little gift. I don't know if you've ever heard of this. It's called the Bullet Journal. Oh, yes. Exactly what you were talking about there. 
Now, how about a resource? Is there a resource you'd like to share with our listeners you think is uh, really great? Well, I think the best resource ever in this industry is SEMA itself and and the ability to network through SEMA. And a few years ago, there were one or two channels within SEMA where you could really network and get to know uh, people in the industry that were facing the same challenges as you are. Today, there are numerous channels within SEMA, uh, whether it's whether you're a young executive or whether you're uh, more of an industry veteran like I am, uh, there are multiple paths into the industry, not only to contribute, but you also almost, I would say, inevitably get back more than you ever give, even though you don't, you're not expecting that. So uh, SEMA itself has so many different opportunities to, uh, to get better every day at what we all do. Fantastic organization. Now, here's a new question that you didn't get last time you were on the show. If you could have a drink with anyone in the automotive industry or field, living or deceased, who would that be? You know, um, I think it would have to be Carol Shelby because I I have had breakfast and, and a couple of dinners with Carol Shelby, but it was more of a kind of get-to-know-you formal kind of session. Yeah. And uh, the man did so much, uh, you know, including winning Le Mans and, and uh, you know, the, the Shelby Cobra and the Mustangs and all that. And I still drive some of his cars. I, there's so many more questions I would love to ask him and uh, and love to, to hear the answers because I'm sure I'm sure I only heard a fraction of the stories. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I just started asking this question this year in 2017, and his name's come up twice already in the first week. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, absolutely, uh, industry leader. I never got to spend any time with him. I did get to meet him a couple times at events, and I used to have a GT350 Shelby Mustang he signed the, the glove box of, but phenomenal man. I did get to spend an evening with Peter Brock at his house, and Peter told me some wonderful stories about working with Carol. So that was very interesting from that perspective, back when they were uh, designing and building the Daytona. He was a, he was another one that was uh, right there with Carol for part of that journey, and of course has had a pretty remarkable career all his own. And uh, I've gotten to spend a little time with with Peter as well, and uh, another extraordinary contributor to the industry. Oh yeah, absolutely. He was an early guest here on Cars. Yeah, Mitch, how about a book? Is there a, a new book maybe you've read in the last year that you think our listeners would enjoy? Well, my favorite automotive book of all time is a little bit dated these days, but I think it's still quite relevant, which is The Machine That Changed the World by the MIT researchers. But the book that I gave everyone here at APR for Christmas, I can show it to you. It's this book right here, which is The Toyota Way. Ah, yes. This has the 14 principles of how Toyota became Toyota. And, um, you know... I think people for a few years kind of got into the uh, or kind of got lulled into the belief that maybe Toyota was the perfect company. And of course, no company is perfect. Toyota does have it could you could make a very good argument for Toyota has most of it figured out and is the best at figuring it out. Uh, but there are 14 management principles in there that I think apply to any business and ones that we I've incorporated into my own career and that we are incorporating into APR. So, all the managers at APR got that book for Christmas. Ah, brilliant gift idea. Well, listeners, you can find links to all these great resources on Mitch's very own show notes page, his second show notes page here at Cars, yeah? at carsyad.com slash Mitch Williams, number two, since he's a returning guest. And there's another great place on the Cars, yeah? website called Guest Recommended Books, where this book and book recommendations from the past 682 guests are listed. It's a wonderful resource. I think there's over a 1,000 books there now with quick, easy clicks to buy. All right, Mitch, we're up to the checkered flag. And this last question, you've been asked it before. We'll see if your answers change. 
can be a bit of a doozy. If you could have only one very cool collector car in your garage, and you can't sell this thing to buy a bunch of other stuff with, so that little trick's off the table, but money's no object. I'm going to buy you whatever you'd like here in the new year. What would that be and why? I think uh, I think I'd probably buy a, a Porsche 917 uh, because it's uh, it, it to me was the pinnacle of endurance racing. Uh, it, it could be a Can-Am car or an endurance racing car. I'd, I'd, I'd take either. I wouldn't be picky. <laughs> well, thank you. Um, uh, Porsche 917 to me was, represented a period in history that probably cannot be duplicated again because they were you know, 12-cylinder engines, big displacement or larger displacement engines, really a lot of horsepower, and they were at the dawn of the turbocharging era. So, um, so I, I think they were they were a special period in history and kind of an iconic representation of brands like Golf and uh, you know things like that. Yeah. So uh, probably the reason I went to work for Golf was because of the Porsche 917 and John Wire and his team. So yeah, I'd, I'd have to I have to put a Porsche 917 up there on on the list of uh, something to take to the track. Be very careful with it. Oh yes. Well, oh my gosh. Well, you picked a special iconic car there, and I think Bruce Canepa has one for sale right now. I could give him a call and see if we could get him to part with that. I'm sure he would for the right size check. So. <laughs> yes. I don't know. You know, sometimes I, I people ask me about my cars and, you know, and they, they make the statement that everything's for sale. And, you know, once you get to a certain point and you have what you want, then it really doesn't matter about the money because it's not for sale because the first thing you would do is try to get another one. Yeah. So, um, yeah, there, there's, a, there's a few things that just are not for sale. And I respect that. And I don't try to buy those. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Mitch, taking me on another awesome ride today. I'm so happy we reconnected and you shared this new role at APR. I'm very grateful for your time today. And I want to thank you for sharing your journey with the Cars Yow listeners. Could you offer us one parting piece of guidance before you rip off down the racetrack in that Porsche 917? Well, I think, uh, Mark, I'll give, I'll give the same advice, particularly to young people that, um, that, that I was given a long time ago. And that is, if, uh, if they're keeping score and the market is keeping score, then let's play the game hard. Let's play to win. Absolutely. What's the best way for our listeners to learn more about you and this new company you're with, APR? Uh, the best way is through our website, which is www.goapr.com. Uh, we'd love to give anyone a tour of our uh, facility. We're only about an hour and 15 minutes from the Atlanta airport, just over the line in Alabama. Uh, we have a pretty state-of-the-art facility here, and there's some remarkable things going on in this building. We'd love to share it with your listeners. Now, there is an awesome invitation. So, listeners, again, you can find links to everything that Mitch has been so kind to share today on his show notes page at carsyeah.com slash Mitch Williams, in this case, number two, since he's been here twice. And uh, you can just go to the search bar, type Mitch in there, and you'll find that show notes page. Hey, Mitch, thanks again for being so generous today with your time and your expertise and for sharing your new venture with me and the listeners. Until we talk again, I'll see you down the road. Thank you, Mark. Let's do this again sometime. Absolutely. Okay. Chrome and Elegance, coming up April 28th. Enjoy some of the world's most prized car collections, wine tasting, and luxury receptions while driving toward a cure for Parkinson's disease. To register or donate, click drivetowardacure.org. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah! Drive on over to carsyeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up! 
a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah!